Welcome to the Wisdom Community Podcast. I'm Rabbi John Carrier, and I am convinced that the path to a better life lies in seeking wisdom and in seeking community. Are you seeking? Then this is for you, seeker. Hello, Seeker. This is Rabbi John Carrier coming to you from Burbank, California. It's a sunny day outside. It is the first day in the beginning of a heat wave. I think it's supposed to get up to 101 by Friday. So try to stay cool here. You try to stay cool where you are. And let's just be thankful for this day and how good it is to be alive. Since last we spoke, there have been many killings in America and throughout the world, this seems like a hard time to be a living person, to grieve for those who are killed accidentally, for those who are killed quite on purpose, and for the general tenor of violence that seems like it's getting worse. I don't know if that's just because we're more aware of it with social media and instant news, etc., But it seems like the more we know and the more thoroughly we know about these crimes, these terrorist acts, these episodes of violence, the more equipped we should be to build a world where they don't happen as often. And I think that's what makes all of this a little bit harder, uh, if not a lot harder. And yet I am going to give thanks for being alive and I'm going to give thanks for your being alive. Because even though this is a hard time to live through some days, while we're alive, we still get to grow. While we're alive, we still get to help other people grow. We still get to help other people with this. No doubt it's hard to grieve. We grieve privately. We grieve publicly. We witness the grief of others. But we still get to help others who grieve. And that seeker is a great gift to them, but also to us. And so I want to give thanks for the breath that I draw today and for the breath that you draw today. For right now, I don't know how to solve this problem, the thing that we're more aware of that we should be able to quell, but can't. I've been looking at a lot of Torah on the responsibility to not stand idly by the blood of our neighbors. Uh, the ability to defend ourselves, even with extreme measures, the call that we have to long for a day when all the swords are beat into plowshares. I don't have a solution for all this. I I know it's going to be a lot of work, work that I'm willing to do, work that I'm willing to help you with. I think there is a shorter-term solution and a longer-term solution that have to be done together. The shorter-term solution I think is going to involve legislation. It's going to involve government level activity of studying this violence as a public health problem, supporting our leaders to have the ability to study the problem, which sometimes they're blocked from by people who profit from this river of blood. There's also short-term work to be done in reaching out to that kid in the back of the classroom that nobody talks to, that nobody knows what he's about work to be done to support parents to help 
better take care of their kids, to better understand their kids, to not be afraid of talking to their kids or feeling inadequate to help kids who are struggling. There's work to be done just to get to know our neighbors better. In so many of these circumstances, the actor is someone who nobody really knew. And communities can better defend themselves against this kind of violence when they know each other, when they can support each other, when they can identify stressors earlier and work toward a solution before it gets out of hand. That's why community is so important. We need to bind together as a community, in our own communities, in a national community, in an international community, to work on this problem that's ever more present as we're able to know about it instantaneously and globally. But then there's longer term work. So many times when an event happens publicly, they talk about mental illness. And the phrase that's been stuck in my mind over and over again is that it's not mental illness. It's a kind of moral illness. Enough of us have decided that there are values that supersede human life, that my principles are worth more than your breathing. My tradition, the Jewish tradition, actively combats this. There is this principle called pikuach nefesh, to save a life. And in just about every area of Jewish law, if there's a choice between observing the law of doing what God wants from you and saving a human life, the rabbis say, you save that life. And in talking to you right now, I know I'm talking to somebody who cares deeply about human life, who doesn't need to be convinced. And yet, I'm going to put this out into the world. I'm going to ask you to help spread this message into the world that we need to have a long-term plan of educating everyone and supporting each other in spreading the value that human life comes first. Everything else we can work out. And I want to start with the teaching from Pirkei Avot. We've talked about Pirkei Avot before. These are the sayings of our ancestors, the wisdom that's been passed down for about 2,000 years from the time of the rabbis of the Mishnah. And the first Mishnah in chapter 4 goes like this. Benzoma taught, Who is wise? One who learns from all persons. As it is written, From all my teachers I have gained understanding. This is from Psalm 119. Who is mighty? One who conquers the evil impulse. As it is written, One who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and one who rules over his spirit than one who conquers a city. This comes from Proverbs 16. Who is rich? One who is happy with his portion. As it is written, When you eat the labor of your hands, happy will you be, and all will be well with you. From Psalm 128. He explains, Happy will you be refers to this world. All will be well with you refers to the world to come. And finally, who is honored? One who honors his fellows. As it is written, Those who honor me, says God, I will honor, but those who scorn me will be despised. This is from the first book of Samuel. Here, Samuel, uh, speaking on behalf of God, says, Who will honor me, I will honor, but those who scorn me will be despised. And the rabbi reads this as one who honors his fellows. This is by honoring our neighbors, by honoring everyone we encounter, we're actually giving honor to God. 
and will thus receive honor ourselves. And Seeker, I'm bringing this to you today because I think this is a foundational teaching that we need to spread to the world. All of these occur to me are counterintuitive. When we think what it takes to be wise, what it takes to be mighty, rich, honored, we think acquisitionally, we think triumphally. To be wise means to learn a lot yourself and to speak to the wisest teachers, it seems. But this says the one is wisest who learns from all people, who walks in other people's shoes, who's willing to ask questions to everybody, even and especially people who aren't like them. When we think about might, we think about muscle, we think about power, we think about the ability to protect and the ability to destroy. But this Mishnah teaches that the people who are the mightiest are those who conquer not others, but themselves, who suppress their desire to destroy, their desire to acquire and to control. When we think of wealth, we think of accumulation, we think of the power to buy things, to buy things for ourselves, to buy things for other people, to get more and more and more. And being rich is often thought of in terms of comparing oneself to other people. I have more than him. I have more than her. That's what makes me rich. And if I have less, how can I be rich? But this Mishnah teaches the one is richest who is happiest with what he or she already has. And finally, in this political season where people are claiming honor and pursuing honor and acquiring the esteem of others, our Mishnah teaches, again, somewhat counterintuitively, that the one who gains the most honor is the one who gives the most honor away, who treats others rightly as though they were created in the image of God. And to speak to each person as if in that conversation you have a private audience with the Holy One. And if you conduct yourself that way, others will honor you. Not because you seek their esteem, but because you recognize the holiness in them. If we can learn from all persons, if we can suppress our desire to control and destroy, if we can be happy with what we have and not blame a deficit on other people, and if we can always seek to honor the other as we would honor God, then I believe we can start to solve this problem of violence that comes from misunderstanding of fundamentalist clinging to values at the expense of lives. And I'm grateful to be alive today because I'm grateful to be able to share this teaching with you, to learn this with you, and I'm grateful for the ability to ask you to pass this on. Share this podcast, share your own thoughts on this with other people, but this message has to get out. And the more we push it into the world, the safer, the saner, the more dignified it will be. And we'll wake up on fewer and fewer mornings having to struggle to be grateful, to be alive. Won't you help me spread this word? I know you will. Thank you, Seeker. 
Seeker. You are listening to the Wisdom Community Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Wisdom Community. I'm John Carrier, your teacher and rabbi at Burbank Temple Emmanuel here in beautiful downtown Burbank, California. I encourage you to visit our website at wisdomcommunitypodcast.com where you can listen to an archive of past episodes, see some additional learning materials on there. And while you're there, please consider joining our community by signing up for our email newsletter. Once you're signed up, you'll receive regular updates about future shows and future opportunities for us to learn and celebrate together here in Burbank. Thanks for listening this far, and please stay tuned for the rest of the program. So, Seeker, now that we've concluded the wisdom portion of this podcast, insofar as you think it is wise, I sure do. I'd like us to shift gears to kind of a Q&A segment. Uh, one thing I want to do on this podcast is answer questions that you have, settle doubts, um, give information that you feel you're lacking. And I've asked people uh, to send me their questions, and I've got a few, and I'm going to answer them. But rather than picking uh, one out of the mailbag, I'm going to go with sort of an FAQ. One question that I get a lot is how to survive the synagogue service. I'm a rabbi in a wonderful synagogue, Burbank Temple Emmanuel, in beautiful downtown Burbank, California. Been there for two years. Before that, I was in seminary for five years. Before that, I was a member of various Jewish communities. And I do it because I love it, because I actually like the synagogue service, but I get it. Uh, I get that people come in and they hear something that's in another language for the most part. So I've been doing synagogue a long time, and frankly, I love it. Um, if I didn't do this professionally, I would do it as an amateur. I uh, appreciate the poetry of it. I appreciate the art of it. And for me, that uh, two and a half hours on a Saturday morning goes by pretty quickly. I, I admit mostly because I'm leading a good chunk of it and I'm just trying to get the service done on time so that it's not a three-hour service instead of a two-and-a-half-hour service. But trust me, I get it. Uh, when I first came into synagogue services, it was to be with my family, to be an example to my children. Uh, I still didn't get what was going on. It was still kind of a drag, and I'm looking at my watch uh, just as much as they're looking at, at the clock in the back of the room. But it was important to me to be there, to to set an example. So I was doing it for other reasons. Eventually, uh, it kind of grew on me. I eventually, I understood more and more of what was going on in the service. Um, I was approached to learn how to lead parts of the service, and I did. And that made it more meaningful to me, knowing that I was competently helping to produce what was happening in that room, knowing that I was creating holy space for other people in some small way. And at one point, uh, and at one point I said, you know what, I think I'm going to do this for a living. And so that's why I went to seminary. And in seminary, I learned what all the different prayers mean. I learned the Hebrew. I pretty much understand what it is I'm saying when I'm praying right now. But I know that that's, uh, that was only through an investment of years uh, of practice and study. And that's not the experience for most people. For many people I talk to, they walk in and they're like, ah, I don't get it. What page are we on? This is dull. I'm not coming back next week, maybe for the high holidays, because my grandmother's here and that makes her happy. But John, what do you see in this? How can I get more comfortable with this? And one thing I can say is that it gets better. And here's why it's so important that I answer this question is uh, I emphasize over and over again that the path to meaning is the pursuit of wisdom 
and the pursuit of community. And I believe in my heart of hearts that a service at a synagogue, when done well, meets both of those goals, puts you farther down the path of wisdom and the path of community when it's done right. So I would encourage you to commit or keep committing to attending a synagogue service. If Judaism isn't your thing, find another service to go to. Find one that's more in line with your beliefs. I happen to think Judaism is pretty awesome. So how to survive the synagogue service. First off, just go. Um, Just carve out that time. Challenge yourself to go to a service and go when it starts at the beginning, whatever time in the morning it starts. And somebody may think that you are a guest at a bar mitzvah because those are the only people who go in the beginning of the services. But go and try to experience the whole thing. Stay till the end um, and then go back the following week and do it again. And then if you will, the following week, uh, do it again. The promise that I'll make to you is that if you do this consistently, you will start to get it. You will work into the flow. You will work into the arc of the story that's being told throughout the prayer service and throughout the study part of the service. Now, going consistently isn't going to help you if you are going to a place that just doesn't connect with you. Um, You should find a synagogue where people are friendly. And most synagogues, uh, the people are friendly. Even when the service is boring, the people are friendly. But some places um, have such a tight community that they don't necessarily know how to talk to people who aren't a part of that community. And that can seem cold and that can seem unfriendly and unwelcoming. But trust me, it's more about them than it is about you. Again, maybe they just don't know how to talk to a new person. So I would say if you're in a community that has a lot of different synagogues, try out a, a lot of different places and see which one is the friendliest because I think that correlates highly with the people who are most focused on doing God's work, because part of God's work is creating friendliness in the world. So those people are getting it right. If you are in a community that only has one synagogue or two synagogues and neither of them are friendly, go in there and be the friendly person. Even though you don't know anybody, just smile more, say you're happy to be there, say you're happy to meet people because maybe that's all they need to pull them out of their shell. Just go and be friendly. Uh, try to sit with somebody. Um, you know, don't, don't just like scooch up against somebody and, you know, hold their hand if you don't know them. Um, some places are like that. I don't know, but sit close enough that you can ask somebody, you know, what page are we on? Um, what do you think of that? What's the rabbi's name? Um, how do you do? Be the friendly person and try to integrate yourself into the community. And I'll just pause for a second to talk about um, kind of financial responsibility. Some people have this illusion that they can't take part in a synagogue if they're not members who are paying dues or making a contribution of some sort. I don't know of a synagogue uh, that I've ever been in that would exclude you from attending a service just because you're not a dues paying member. You know, every synagogue, I think, wants more members and every synagogue needs people to support it. But nobody's going to exclude you because you're not uh, writing a check to them right away. So take that barrier away. Go to a service, have a seat and just try to take it all in. 
Um, if you're shopping around different places, I'll ask you to look for two more things. Friendliness is one. Another one is what's the quality of the music? What's the quality of kind of the spirit in the room? Is there one person singing and everybody kind of mumbling along or are many people singing together? And I'll go for the latter one because I think that's the place that is going to be more comfortable eventually. At first, it might seem like, okay, everybody here is singing songs that I don't know and I feel left out. But as you go back again and again, you will start to learn those songs. And that is going to allow you in sort of a wordless way that is not talking with other people necessarily, but singing along will allow you to incorporate yourself into that community in a very positive and meaningful way. So is it friendly? Is it musical? Here's a third thing. What's the quality of the learning? Are people... You know, when there's a Torah service, when there is a sermon, when things are being kind of explained or um, expounded upon, are they really bringing the ancient text into the present in a meaningful way? Are you invited to ask questions? Is the rabbi approachable? Uh, are other people asking questions about the text? Because I think if you're just listening to a lecture, it's harder to gain wisdom than if you're able to ask questions about what's being talked about. I've tried to model my own community with all of these things. First off, it was a friendly place when I got there. That's something that was a natural gift of Burbank Temple Emmanuel. Um, people certainly appreciate music. Burbank is actually a studio town, a choir town, uh, an entertainment town. And so there are musicians around, there are singers around. And I have worked to emphasize um, not chazanut, not performative singing, but communal singing in our congregation. And uh, I have worked to integrate deep communal learning into our services. That is, uh, I barely give sermons anymore. What I do instead is I hand out um, kind of a small anthology of texts about a particular topic, some from the Torah, some from the Midrash, some from the Talmud, uh, some modern thought as well, and ask people to break up into groups and study it and ask questions of each other and ask questions of me. And then after people have had a chance to study, then we get together and, um, and I'll answer questions or have kind of a guided discussion about it. So at Burbank Temple Emmanuel, it's a friendly place. We sing a lot. It's starting to sound like a choir concert in there, totally spontaneously. And we really focus on learning that listens to the voice of every person in the room, brings all perspectives to bear on this ancient text to bring it into modern context and really give people something that they can walk away with and use the next day. So if you're not close to Burbank, if you're not close to my community, um, I would ask you to seek out communities that are like this. If you are close to Burbank, come by and say hi. I'd be happy to see you and introduce you to all my friends there. In fact, I know some of the people listening to the podcast are my friends there, and thank you for that. That's a great gift for me. So to sum up how to survive the synagogue service, um, don't think of it as a survival thing, like you've been dropped on a desert island with half a jug of water and no hope. Uh, think of it as a vacation to a beautiful island with lots of opportunities to pick coconuts or what have you. Get a little sun, sit back and relax. If you don't know the songs, um, hum along. Tap uh, on the benches. If you, if you get dirty looks, tap on the benches anyway, because that's the kind of spirit we need to bring into the world. So to survive a synagogue service, just show up, just take it all in, make some friends, and come back. And eventually, over time, um, if you're like me, it will become one of the most meaningful parts of your week and add meaning to your life over the long term.
That's it for this episode, Seeker. I have been tremendously grateful for the opportunity to learn with you, to share uh, what I know. I'd love to hear what you know and what you need to know. So if you have comments or questions, I encourage you to write me at rabbi at wisdomcommunitypodcast.com. Again, that's R-A-B-B-I at wisdomcommunitypodcast.com. Those questions and comments come directly to my email box and I will address them personally and hopefully a timely way. And if you have good questions and comments that I think people could benefit from, I will, with your permission, share my thoughts on them with this community in a future podcast. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share this and spread the word. And I look forward to learning with you again as we pursue wisdom in community. Be well, seeker. Seeker, thank you for joining me today for this Wisdom Community Podcast. I invite you to join our community by visiting wisdomcommunitypodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list to receive updates on future programs and opportunities to seek wisdom and seek community together. If you have a particular question for me, please feel free to email me at the following address, rabbi at wisdomcommunitypodcast.com. Until we speak again, I bless you with strength on your journey in seeking wisdom and seeking community. Be well. Thank you.